Hello, and welcome to episode 54 of the Talk Witchcraft podcast. In this episode, Maggie and I will be talking all about the history of witchcraft and the witch archetype. You're listening to Talk Witchcraft. On this podcast, we talk about witchcraft as a lifestyle and discover how to merge magic into your daily life. Every week, we'll demystify witchy topics like tarot, astrology, crystals, herbs, and more as you develop your personal brand of magic and create the life of your dreams. We're your hosts, the Mystic Sisters, Erica and Maggie. In this segment of the show, we choose a tarot card for the week, and we look for moments that relate to this card in our daily lives. So for this episode, we chose the Four of Pentacles, and the theme of this card is stability, particularly material stability. So in the Four of Pentacles, there's a person who I think is in control of their money. They have a pentacle on their lap, and it's held inside a square that he is making with his arms. And then he has two pentacles that are secure under his feet as if they are supporting him, and a fourth pentacle placed on the top of his head on his crown, which is less secure. So that could represent different types of investments that are supporting, you know, really secure and kind of risky. But that's sort of the theme of stability and and resting that we see in the, the fours, because the person isn't stressed about money, they can rest their mind. The thing to remember is that pentacles aren't just about money. Pentacles are about all the different material possessions and physical realm experiences. So these different secure and risky investments and the supporting coins could be having a secure job that pays the bills and testing out starting a business on the side, or it could be building up your skills by investing time in practice, but taking chances on new techniques that will help you improve more quickly. So don't limit your interpretation to only considering money. So do you have a story about the four of pentacles? I am going to be interpreting it as money, even though I told you not to interpret it as money. Well, you didn't say not to, you said it doesn't happen. (laughs) Um, I just paid off all of the debt that was related to my marriage. Hooray! (laughs) So I am free of all of that marital debt. Um, the only debt that I have left are is mine. It's the my car and my student loans. And then, of course, the mortgage for my house. All of the debt that I accrued during my marriage was is, is now gone. So huge milestone. So now kind of the risk that I am taking, the difference is I'm doing a lot more in terms of thinking about retirement, in terms of building my wealth, building up my savings doing a lot more figuring out how I want to use my money and where I want it to go and how I want it best to serve me. Nice. So figuring out different like levels of security, like the guy. How much do I want to keep for myself? How much do I want to, you know, put out into the world in the, in the form of investment? How much risk am I willing to, like, do I want to play the stock market? Probably not. That's really scary to me, (laughs) but definitely retirement accounts, that kind of stuff. I'm more of a saver than a like stock market wealth builder. Well, for me, kind of similarly, we've been figuring out what we want to do. My husband and I, Dana, I've been reflecting on this mumbles and things thing that I've been doing for 
like five years now. And one thing that I've always like kept in my mind is how it's definitely a privilege that I have been able to kind of risk things by doing something that I wasn't sure if it would pay off because we're able to live on uh, one income basically. So that's kind of what I've been thinking about with the way that in terms of like jobs, I guess, like the security of jobs that I could feel secure in trying something new because I had the stability of my husband's position. We had guests this weekend for a polo tournament and someone was asking what I do. It's always kind of like an awkward thing of trying to describe what I do. I've, I've settled on like content creator, um, but it did, it did make me start thinking about things in these terms. Shall we move on to our main topic? So we are talking about the history of witchcraft and the witch archetype. And so we have this word, a witch, which it seems to have a power of its own. No matter who you say it to, there's always some sort of reaction. Like when I was talking to this person from my story, I said, I teach witchcraft online and it definitely took them aback because I know they were not expecting that at all. (laughs) (laughs) And so then their reaction was, the good kind or the bad kind. And later he apologized because he was like, of course, it's really rude of me to assume you would be associated with the bad kind. Um, But anyway, that's kind of what we'll be talking about today is this perception of witchcraft and how it's changed throughout history. Because this five-letter word really does contain the mysteries of humankind. It encompasses fear and magic mysticism, nature, all of these things in a swirling potion of history. (laughs) So we're going to talk about the history of witchcraft and how that archetype has changed. If you're really interested in learning more about this than what we can present in this podcast episode, we highly suggest a book. It's called A History of Magic, Witchcraft, and the Occult which was produced by DK Publishing and written by several historians. It is 300 pages of exactly what the title promises, beginning in prehistory and documenting witchcraft up through the internet age. And that's good because humans have been using magic since we first became aware of the environment we live in. So it's good that it spans this entire history of humans. There are clues about prehistoric rituals, such as the Karnak stones in Brittany. Those stones are aligned with the rising and setting sun at various points throughout the year. There's uh, evidence that there's some sort of ritualistic aspect to these stones. And there's various artifacts found around the world, Asia, Africa, North and South America, before 400 of the current era. There's spell books, protection wards, amulets, talismans, and all sorts of things that are evidence of magic users. And you can see this in like the American Southwest. Um, there are ley lines all over the place. There are different types of hieroglyphics and petroglyphs indicating rituals, indicating different kinds of fae creatures. And so that prehistoric time has a lot of evidence literally written in the stones. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. Um, As we move on to the medieval period, which lasted between 400 and 1500 current era, Christianity was spreading west and north, and Islam was spreading east and south from southwest Asia. We begin to see witchcraft as a sin against these dominating religions. 
Both religions believed ancient magical traditions were a challenge to their authority, and those magical practitioners, high priests and priestess, monks and healers and wise ones, who were once revered, became ostracized and driven to practice in secrecy. And that led to the persecution of witches or anyone who was outside of the patriarchal status quo, which reached its peak in the Renaissance era between 1500 and 1700 CE. And at this time, a dichotomy was emerging in Europe. Things were classified as good or evil. And there was no room for the spectrum that truly exists within all things. So anything that was opposing these European powers was considered evil. Anything that was supporting it was good. And as these European colonizers spread this simplistic lens of viewing the world, they were expanding their territory to North and South America. And that lens of anyone who resisted their colonization was cast as evil. Anyone who uh, joined this expanding power was cast as good. And this was also the time when new branches of magic based in science of the time were developing, such as hermeticism, natural magic, and alchemy. Between 1700 and 1900 CE, in a period known as the Enlightenment, prosecution against witches lessened as new enemies of the powerful religion prevailed, science and industry. People revolted against the oppressive religious power in the name of individual freedom and creative expression. This created space for magical practitioners to reemerge from the shadows with traditions such as the Golden Dawn and Voodoo. Uh-huh. I just listened to a podcast from Mystery Team Inc. all about it, the hermetic whatever of the Golden Dawn. and Order. Order. Yes, thank you. Oh my gosh, they were insane. <laughs> yeah, but so much of what practices come from them. Well, and like, so I didn't know all that Crowley was part of it Mm -hmm. and that he was basically ostracized and told like, yeah, no, you're not a member of this. (laughs) Right. And then he made the lema or however you say that. Yeah. So anyway, it was crazy. And I had to make sure that you knew about it, which of course you did, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah. It's definitely like a controversial group to bring up, but they're like so much of what we practice now comes from it. Like the tarot basically all comes from it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I was, as I was listening, they had those like different levels of where you lie in the order, which reminded me of the Masons, but it also reminded me of Mumbles Academy. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Only we're not quite so strict with our quizzes. Right. Yeah. It's not like if you, if you get it wrong, you're ostracized. <laughs> right. Exactly. Anyway. And then from 1900 to present day, the popularity of witchcraft and the use of magic has only grown. So witches have been represented in media such as The Wizard of Oz, many Disney classics and television shows like Sabrina and Charmed. And the witch has also become an empowering symbol of the feminist movement, all of which we will talk about more in a bit. Believe me, this was a very brief history because I could talk about the Enlightenment period and the occult and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and all of his seances for hours and hours and hours, but I won't. (laughs) So this very brief history illustrates the way the perception of witches and witchcraft has changed across time and space. Witches are benevolent spiritual healers in some views, and to others, witches are dangerous beings who cause harm. 
Right. So that's the archetype of the witch, which, which, which <laughs> we will talk about that before we do. Let's have a word from our sponsor. At Wix and Wax, our candles are convenient, making them the perfect tool for your next spell. If you aren't out of the broom cupboard yet, Wix and Wax candles are the perfect tool for your witchcraft practice. Just ask Cassie. I use Wix and Wax candles to keep my practice a secret. Since they are a common household object, it doesn't raise any suspicions if I have a candle burning. No one has to know it's drawing love into my life. We strive to bring the four elements into each of our homemade candles. Our patented blend of wax represents earth when solid and as it melts turns into the water element. The smokeless smoke brings in the air element and of course the flame is the fire element. So if you're in need of a candle for your rituals, just call up Wix and Wax today and we'll get you set. And now back to your regularly scheduled programming. So as I mentioned before the ad, we are going to talk a little bit about how the archetype of a witch changes throughout history. Can you tell us what an archetype is? An archetype is a universally recognized and easily identified symbol, myth, or pattern of behavior. An archetype can be defined by symbols, images, and concepts. So for example, the mother figure is the best representation of nurturance and caretaking. But unlike the mother archetype, who remains consistent throughout history, we have seen how the way the witch is defined changes throughout history. And as such, the archetype of the witch reflects each of these different perceptions and embodies them. The witch archetype is the healer, high priest or priestess, wise person, and shaman of prehistory up to the rise of patriarchal religions. The witch is also the sinner the marginalized and the secretive person of the medieval and renaissance periods, and the witch is the empowered person, the rebel, and the untamed person of the enlightenment and modern day. And we can also see the witch archetype as it's been explored extensively by writers and filmmakers over the years. It continues to fascinate us to this day. We have the immortalized archetype of the witch in literature, such as in Shakespeare's Macbeth, Morgan Le Fay of the King Arthur lore, Hecate and Circe in Greek mythology, J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series, or Roald Dahl's The Witches. The Witch has also been prominently featured in films such as The Wizard of Oz, Hocus Pocus, and Practical Magic. But no matter how the witch is depicted in popular culture, this archetype will always reflect the beliefs, fears, and anxieties of the time period. And that's what makes the witch so interesting. Something that I've noticed about myself as I'm learning more about the witch and uh, coming into my own beliefs and practices is that as I read and as I watch and learn more about history. I'm finding that any time a woman in history is perceived as evil or overbearing or any, you know, any of those negative traits. And in particular, I'm thinking about because I'm reading Philippa Gregory's War of the Roses novels again, Elizabeth of York. Throughout history and in other works of literature and media, is portrayed as a witch, as this horrible monster who was determined to 
and ambitious for her family, pushing things, the puppet behind the stage, she's portrayed very badly. But Philippa Gregory takes on this aspect of her being a witch and displays that ambition for her family as more of a positive trait of protection and wanting the best for her family and wanting good things to happen and wanting bad things to not happen. And I'm finding that more and more as I'm seeing true women portrayed in history that way, trying to look at them through that lens of the witch archetype of who they are and what they're being represented as and who they probably truly were and why they were portrayed that way. Yeah, it's interesting that example using that word ambitious, especially because we chose this for uh, Capricorn season. But I do think that any woman who tries to do something that is beyond what the status quo has set, anyone who's ambitious or has goals and dreams is labeled as a witch or bad or evil in some way in order to bring her down. And it happens with I mean, it happens with men too. It's not like a gender thing specifically, but it is very much more frequent with women labeled as as witches. And then there's the whole thing where people will use the term a witch hunt in the wrong way, where it's like completely like uh, Trump's been using that, that all of these, anything that goes, uh, tries to hold him accountable, it's a witch hunt. And uh, that's just ironic. (laughs) I don't know what the thought is. <laughs> I, I'm having like the second thought forming in the back of my head. That's like distracting me from the one that I'm trying to say. <laughs> so I was thinking about it with like Trump using the witch hunt and in the way that someone like that is using the word witch, like identifying with the word witch, they're identifying with being the persecuted one and being the victim. And I'm trying to mm-hmm. figure out how that fits in with the witch archetype. Is that part of it? Like because of the history of it? I, I think to a degree, yes, it is as much as we hate to admit it. I, I think though what you said before earlier of he's using it, using that term incorrectly because he's not being persecuted. He may feel like he is, but he's not. Right. Like, he's being prosecuted. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's his privilege is being challenged and and that makes people uncomfortable which makes you feel like you're being persecuted but that's not what's happening so i think that in his mind he feels that way like you said i think that looking at is it a true persecution or is it a privilege that's being challenged and that's where the difference comes in right cuz i don't think I don't think that's part of the witch archetype is somebody who's in a place of privilege. Um, right. I think people who are witches have privilege. Like there's like, I, I am a privileged witch. I have privilege of my own, but I don't think it's part of the archetype. And no. so being someone who is being challenged, that's not part of it. I don't think. The archetype is the outcast. The, the, the person who lives on the, outskirts of society who is different the rebel the alternate lifestyle those kinds of things are what the it, the witch archetype is all about and so we have to look at where the person is in terms of the status quo in terms of societal norms in order to determine 
where they are on that scale. Yeah. And a powerful, like the most powerful person in America, potentially the world, the president is not on the outside of society. And the, a person who has had some amount of success in the my, financially is not an outside person. So yeah, as an example, there's a lot of people who use that term though incorrectly as a way to like rally support. Anyway, kind of an aside. (laughs) But I always think of Medusa. She's like my key witch person Mm -hmm. because the only reason that she became a monster, and I use air quotes when I say that word, is because she was sexually assaulted. And so she was standing up for her own power and trying to like defend herself. And so somebody who is reclaiming their power or trying to stand up for themselves becomes labeled as a monster. And that's sort of the embodiment of the witch archetype too. Yeah. And there's evidence of that all through literature. I mean, any of the Greek and Roman monster stories come from somebody doing something that pissed off the gods and usually it's just them trying to be themselves like arachne was a wonderful human weaver she spun this you know and created this blanket that was majestic and beautiful and it it pissed off one of the gods and she turned her into a spider and anytime you see somebody trying to be themselves and trying to further their agenda and trying to be more in this world than just mediocre, look out for the people behind them who are trying to pull them down and say things that are not good. I think we talked about that in a tarot card Mm -hmm. a couple episodes ago. Yeah, I think it was seven of wands. Yeah, the six of wands was about being successful and then the seven of wands was about who's pulling that person back down yeah and one thing that's been really interesting to me lately is this idea of fear that that comes with the witch archetype because as humans part of our like evolution is that fear helps us to survive and so fear is a really healthy thing to feel but i think modern humans Well, I think, I mean, maybe it's true for ancient humans too, but the reason I I was thinking about it this week is because I was kind of in a Twitter argument with someone about the, um, how the fires in Colorado are related to climate change. And they were like, this is fear mongering to even talk about climate change. And in my head, I was just like, I I got tired of talking to them because they were dumb. But in my head, I was thinking about how Maybe we need to be a little bit afraid, like fear is going to drive us to actually change things. And that's part of the, the being the witch is like, it's okay to be fearful. It's okay to, you know, have anxieties because there's something to it that's teaching us something. Right. And there's a line in a book that I was reading recently that has nothing to do with this, but it popped into my brain. The girl was wanting her future told and the fortune teller was questioning, what if it's a bad draw? What what are you going to do if something, if the cards tell you something bad and the original person says, then I will be prepared. Then I will know what is going to come and I can prepare myself for it. Yeah. With the tarot, I think that's really interesting for that example, because that is something that people come across when they read tarot is uh, trying to like sugarcoat the message 
and not give it to somebody straight. But I feel like it's more impactful to just like give them the true message that you're getting because of this reason, because you'll get more information. You have more information that you can do things with that you can actually take action. Knowing what the future holds doesn't always have to be a death sentence, doesn't always have to be doom and gloom. It can be a way to prepare yourself and get ready for what's to come. Because if you don't know what's to come, then you walk into it blindly and you have no idea what will come. Right. So yeah, the fear gives you the chance to prepare versus not knowing makes you unprepared and not do anything about it. And the world continues to be terrible. (laughs) Right. In regards to looking at the people who are dragging anybody down, we can also look in our modern world as well. You know, with when Hillary Clinton was running for president, there was a bunch of people, myself included, because I was still part of that status quo, patriarchal status quo of she's not ready. She's got so much baggage all of these things, essentially calling her a witch in many cases. And, you know, I think about it with AOC. I even see it sometimes with Sarah Palin, even though I don't agree with her politics. There's been a lot of like calling her stupid and calling her names. Like there's, when, whenever we are putting somebody down, we need to examine where it's coming from and what, um, what which archetype we're adhering to and why we're doing it. Yeah, yeah, because like all these different archetypes that we're, we've talked about, it seems like the most common one that's used is like the sinner or the outcast is what people are trying to use. So it's like, AOC, you're, I disagree with what you're saying. So you must be a sinner. You must be evil in some way. So with all of that in mind, if you are interested in embracing all aspects of this witch archetype and living as this modern witch, encompassing all these historical witches, we have a couple of things that you can do. The first is to embrace your receptive power. So the witch archetype is all about tapping into the power of the receptives. So it's important to embrace your own passivity. So much of our culture is about pushing forward, being productive, and taking action. And we can restore some of the natural balance by intentionally making space for reflection, destruction, and rest. And then the other, the second way to live as a modern witch and embrace this archetype is to connect with nature which is one of the core principles of witchcraft, living in harmony with nature, with the natural world. So spending time in nature, connecting with it, listening to the wind, feeling the sun on your skin, observing the moon, breathing the air. And to and when you do this, when you take this time to connect with nature, you start to see those cycles of growth and decline and creation and destruction and movement and rest. You see these more clearly in the cycles that you observe. And that gives you, it also gives you this opportunity to open yourself up to receive the wisdom and guidance of nature. So this episode is brought to you by Comfrey. Erica is going to tell us about the medicinal properties, and then I will share the magical properties. So the Latin name for comfrey is Symphytum officianale. It is part of the 
Boraginaceae family, which is the forget-me-nots and heliotrope, hound's tongue, all of those like pretty like they kind of bend their head. For comfrey, we use the root and the rhizome, which you can harvest in the spring or autumn. And then the aerial parts, such as the plants and the flowers, are harvested best during the, when they are full in flower in the early summer. Comfrey is a vulnerary, a demulcent, an astringent, an expectorant, and a wound healer. And that is the one that it's most well known for because it has impressive wound healing properties. It stimulates cell growth. It's basically a natural stitch. It helps to pull the fibers and skin of wounds together from the inside out. And so traditionally it's used as a poultice or some sort of topical use for it. Caution, they don't recommend tinctures for use in Australia, the US, Canada, UK, and Germany. Don't do a tincture, just do the poultice. It's great and will help heal your wounds in no time. So comfrey corresponds with passive energy, Saturn, the earth and water elements, and Capricorn and Aquarius zodiac signs. It is most used for protection, and uh, particularly when it comes to traveling protection, so for safe traveling and with theft as well, so traveling and theft, and then if you combine those, preventing theft while traveling. So placing some comfrey in your luggage is a really good practice to help protect it from theft while traveling. It is used for healing and Erica has mentioned all of those healing medicinal properties. And then it is used, it can be used for abundance and for attracting money. So the root is, uh, the root of the plant is particularly useful for this area of magic. The particular area of Abundance and money is when it comes to real estate and owning property. So if you're uh, looking to purchase property, carrying the root of comfrey with you to help you make sure that that happens. And then sort of along the same lines, it's associated with stability and endurance. So if you're looking to have success in the long term, such as saving up enough money in order to buy real estate, then this will give you the stability and the endurance to keep that goal you know, keep the momentum towards that goal for a long period. It helps with setting boundaries. So any sort of spells for setting boundaries, bringing good luck to you, and then use for divination as well. Next week, we will be looking at our life through the lens of the King of Swords. So the King of Swords is an articulate person. They are direct. They believe in justice. They are an assertive person, very analytical. They're kind of motivated by getting to grips with the situation. They have very high standards. They judge things fairly. They're patriarchal character. So we'll be looking for people in our lives that remind us of the King of Swords or times where we feel like we are embodying the King of Swords. And if you have a story about the King of Swords, please send us a voicemail at welisten at talkwitchcraft.com. You can find out more about this episode by going to mumblesandthings.com slash blog slash 054. 
Join us next week when we talk about how to make the most of Aquarius season. Make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast so that you are notified each time we put out a new episode. And if you want to help other witches find this show, leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us grow. You can also find us on Instagram at Mumbles and Things. And if you have any other tips to add, tell us about it in the Talk Witchcraft Forum in Mumbles Academy community. And don't forget to share this episode with your witchy friends and followers. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Perceptions. Percep. 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 <laughs>